Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast and finally it is here. Scotland versus France in the final game for the Six Nations. France playing to potentially win the tournament. Scotland playing to potentially secure their highest ever finish in the tournament. It's going to be an absolute belter and we're going to be joined by a very special guest a little bit later on to talk all about that. Johnny Beatty, um, Scotland's resident man in France, is going to be joining us to help us preview that big game. But until then, it's just the big three, Dave, Matt and Alan. Although Alan... Um, a, a new theme of um, enjoyment he's bringing to the podcast is signed in tonight as Big Aldo. So, Big Aldo, how are you doing? Good. Just uh, just got changing the name up to represent the movie character that I've, I most represent, Aldo Rain from the Inglorious Bastards, <laughs> both in both in looks and sort of character traits, I would say. So, um, yeah, no, good to be back and uh, kind of, I don't know, I'm kind of a little bit excited for the game tomorrow, but probably not. I think Matt Ferguson's injury sort of kind of ruined it slightly for me. It's taken a little bit of the shine off, but Matt, are you excited about um, some Friday Night Lights? Yeah, big big Aldo is still not making much sense for me, to be fair. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's to have a Six Nations game that on a Friday night that's been trailed for a long time is is awesome, and I, I think that you look at those. Although Scotland have maybe got a few injuries, like you look at those two teams, and I think it could actually be a really great match. Yeah, absolutely, and we're going to come uh, come on to talk about all of, uh, the stuff from Scotland versus France in a little bit. Once we're joined online um, from Paris by Johnny BT, that's coming up in probably about ten minutes or so. But before we get there, just a quick bit of um, admin, a reminder of where you can find us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod. On Instagram, thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. Um, sending us emails at the thistle rugby at gmail.com. And of course, subscribing to our newsletter um, on Substack. So that's Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast on Substack. And of course, all of this coverage and everything we do at the Thistle is being brought to you in association with Rob Mack at the moment. Uh, they're an independent financial advisor specializing in mortgage management, financial planning, and investments. Uh, they are huge Scottish rugby fans, so they're gearing themselves up for a big Friday night. Um, really excited by it. So if you do need any of their services, please do get in touch with them over at robmack.co.uk. So 
Let's do a little bit of news and then obviously we will get into that conversation about Scotland versus France um, shortly. Um, another triumph for the Thistles scouting network, um, global scouting network. Um, Glasgow this week confirmed that Argentinian winger Sebastian Cancelier has put pen to paper and is joining the club um, at the end of the season. Um Matt, always nice to get a bit of vindication and he looks like a uh, a decent player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I'd watched him play that much, but a quick Google and YouTube shows he's got some pretty sweet highlights, to be fair. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that like has got capped for Argentina recently. He's had a lot of games for, for the Haguares, um since starting for them in 2018 and scored quite a lot of tries to be fair um so i'm i I think he's pretty exciting player um and and hopefully there's some level of connection between him and and miotti and if you look at that glasgow squad obviously you have rufus mclean who's come through really strongly ollie smith cole forbes like exciting young guys but at the same time the likes of sort of matawalu maybe even robbie nairn seymour who's who are older guys haven't really made much of an impression recently. So to have a guy who's a bit older, a bit more experienced, but maybe a bit more in his prime is I think pretty good news. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what they do. Cause there's a few, there's a few of the wingers of um, they're actually contracts run out this summer. So Tommy Matawalu, Lee Jones and Robbie Nairn are all contracted up till this summer. And um, none of them have had any sort of extension yet. And it feels like you've now got what, Obviously, Kyle Stain, Tagivis till 2022. And then they've obviously brought in Rufus McLean on the contract, Ollie Smith, Cole Forbes, Cancieli. Cancieleri. Sorry, apologies. <laughs> um, obviously, of the, of the, if it doesn't, it feels like a couple of those guys aren't going to be getting, going to be getting a contract extension, right? Who, who would you want to keep? Yeah, Tommy's a bit of a weird, Tommy Seymour is a bit of a weird one just because he's obviously so good. I I would have thought that he would have had historically has been so good, but he's been a bit injury prone. He's probably been a little bit off the boil. I, I would have assumed probably quite he, expensive as well. Yeah, mm. it feels like the the time of Nico is done. I think Lee Jones is a hundred percent going to get a contract extension. He's still able to bring such a high quality. Um, I think it's interesting uh, if you look at the press release they put out in the second para. It says the twenty seven year old wing will link up with Warriors this summer joining fellow new arrival Josh Mackay and young talents Ollie Smith, Rufus McLean and Cole Forbes in competing for places in the back three. So, I mean, a lot of those older guards aren't even sort of mentioned in that sort of, I guess, that um, that presentation of what next season's going to look like. So, Tegivi, he's got a contract. Tegivi's <laughs> not in the press release. But, I mean, he, wow. literally, ha- he literally has a contract until 2022. So... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a contract to go and play for air every weekend in the <laughs> Super Six. I don't know. Right. The thing is, Lee Jones and Seymour are both thirty-two, and as wingers, if and particularly Lee Jones has had a lot of injuries, you sort of think that that is the kind of age where you would be moved on. But then you've sort of got a big gap between those experienced guys and guys who you know are pretty wet behind the ears. Agreed. I, I, I mean, I just think Lee Jones, I've always felt that Lee Jones isn't good enough to play for Scotland, but it's just like such a solid club player and continues to sort of bring that through in the matches he's played this year that it feels to me like there's got to be some sort of role with him for him at Glasgow, or even just for the ne- for an extra year, as you said, those young guys come through. But we'll see. We absolutely will see. Um, and it was the young guys coming through that impressed um, in a Glasgow law, a disappointing Glasgow loss to the Dragons at the weekend. Um, let's not focus too much on the fact that Glasgow have lost both games to the Dragons this season um, and focus on Rufus McLean's sort of 90-metre worldie. He is taken to professional rugby like a duck to water. He's quite, he's quite exciting, isn't he, Matt? Yeah, and I, I think personally, I, I was I was excited by him getting a contract, but I was also a bit surprised just because 
he hadn't actually, we talked about this before, he hadn't played any Super 6 and had been injured due, due, due to injury and had only sort of really shown what he was capable of towards the end of that under-26 Nations where he um, sort of announced himself on the scene. But since he's played for Glasgow, he's gone from a guy who maybe you thought was just like very good at sort of the kick chase and like the basics and just putting in 110% effort, but into this actually like really accomplished looking, exciting player. So he's like surpassed my expectations I think by, you by were, far. You were in charge of our Twitter account when about two months ago you said Rufus McLean looks all right for somebody who should be still at school with their head stuffed down a toilet. Do you yeah, want um, to well, issue an apology now? I actually... I didn't. I don't think I said all right. I was saying like he looks. <laughs> I was saying he is playing so well, considering he looks like he should still be at school with a head down his to- down the toilet. So yeah. ultimately, I was complimenting him, and I've stolen it from the thick of it. So it's clearly a joke, and he re- <laughs> and he retweeted it. So I think it was okay in the end. It was a win. It was definitely a win in the end. Um... I mean, it was another a, a frustrating weekend for Scottish teams in in Cardiff, Edinburgh, uh, losing to the Cardiff Blues as well. Um, and Kevin Miller had a very interesting tweet about these two games. It's sort of the this says an awful lot about the difficulty of being a Scottish rugby fan. The first half across those two games, the Scottish teams were won twenty seven points to twelve. The second half of those t- games, we lost 48 points to five. So it's a pretty devastating um, devastating change at halftime, particularly, Alan, for Edinburgh, who went in you know, winning the game. Yeah, well, both teams that went in at halftime winning yeah. the game. And I guess, I think... It's, I'm not sure if it's 100% clear exactly what they're planning to do with the, uh, with the Champions Cup entry, but... Edinburgh needed to win to have a chance of coming fourth, and and the team that is above yeah. them is Cardiff, so it's it's basically <laughs> like a pretty massive point swing, and, and so now it looks like any chance of them being in the Champions Cup next year is is, is essentially been eradicated. Um, and I think kind of one of the frustrating things, uh, one of the tries for for Cardiff I think when Cardiff were about what maybe sort of seven points up and they had that chip through and I think what was it Jordan Evans who scored the try under the post and I think we all commented that I don't know you just looked at Kinghorn and I think it was Hoyland covering back and there was just sort of a, a bit of a lack of desire you would say huge lack of urgency from yeah. Kinghorn didn't look arsed at all, and it's such a big moment because you know with Cardiff scored those points, then that is game over. And for such a key match, such a pivotal moment, it just felt a bit disappointing to to see such a lack of urgency from from both players. And I don't know whether it's sort of you know is a hint of potentially a camp that's a bit a bit unhappy. I, I think it's getting towards the end of a long unsuccessful season mainly losing matches. I get the sense with, with Edinburgh and Glasgow, they just want it to all be over. Yeah. So they're like genuinely, I, they've got nothing to play for really now. And even their chances of qualifying for the champions cup were very slim. And you've got so many guys away on international select duty. Blair Kinghorn. I, I kind of have some sympathy in that he's been training with the Scotland squad He's been first choice pick at fullback for Edinburgh for you know two or three years, and then he gets parachuted back in in basically like the shags on the wing. <laughs> like I, I have a bit of sympathy with maybe being a bit pissed off, but at the same time, that that's maybe becoming a bit of an issue with him. At least there's there's a perception that his attitude isn't quite what it should be. I like the idea that Edinburgh and Glasgow just wanted to be over. It's like it's Sunday morning, end of the stag. You're in Malaga Airport. Everyone just wants to get out of there. It's done. Yeah. Get this weekend over with. Yeah. And the thing is, like at the end of something like that, all we've got to do is sit on a plane. These guys are being sent to Cardiff to like tackle big, scary, hard Welshmen who actually have something to play for. But, like, please, just leave me be. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does open up the tantalising possibility of you know 
live show in in Bucharest for um, the Scotland Romania game this summer, and then potentially you know some godforsaken part of Siberia for you know a, a Champions a Challenge Cup game for Edinburgh Glasgow against um, that Russian team. I do remember so. Lukta getting <laughs> flights to because I can't remember what, what the the town's called that Krasny are in, but it is literally yeah. in like central Russia, um, and I think it was going to be like a three flight, <laughs> a thousand pound return. And I was like, probably not worth it, is it? Probably not <laughs> worth it because the Edinburgh team will fly like <laughs> private in and out, won't stay in the town, and you'd be there for like two days. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine those. Imagine the Edinburgh players like coming out for the game and then just seeing us in the stand, like cheering on. They'd be like, "What are you guys doing?" We'll be like, "You guys beers afterwards." They're like, "We are getting the <laughs> fuck out of here." <laughs> Do you remember? Was it didn't Edinburgh play them? I can't remember if they played them in the place in Siberia or if they played them in Moscow. But I remember that Edinburgh game when they won like a hundred nil, and it literally looked like so. It was like the second pitch at like Golden Acre. Was was that not? Yeah. Um, was that was that Russia? Because they definitely had. Timosawara Saracens, if you remember that. Maybe that, yeah, it was Timosawara Saracens. No, yeah, yeah. I, I, they definitely played Krasnyar, like certainly within the time we've been doing the pod. Are you sure? Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe we shift on to France, and we'll, we'll we'll get to the bottom of this for next week's episode. I think. I think even for the absolute ultras that listen to us, fifteen minutes oh, they, on um, they did, they challenge did, cup right. rugby is too much. It was, they, what was the final they, score? Um, it was seventy-eight nil at home, <laughs> and then it was. Um, 73-14 away from home. Krasnyar got two tries at home. Fair play. Oh, look at look at that. Um, the Edinburgh team. Jason Tovey. It's a different ne- world. Neil, Neil Cochran. Sam Adal Klein. Yeah. It's been, been a long a road. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so that's a little bit of a wrap-up of the news. We're now going to uh, dial in... Uh, our man in Paris and do a little bit of a preview of the uh, Scotland-France game. So we'll be back in a sec with that. All right, we're now um, joined on the pod. Our man in Paris has arrived. Um, Johnny, how you doing, man? Very well, mate. Nice to see you all again. Yeah, good to good to have you back on. It's been been a wee while. It's been a whole pandemic in between. Um, but you're you're in Paris. You're covering the game this weekend. Yep, uh, doing co-coms. So looking forward to it. Currently, just sitting across from the stadium uh, and looking for. It's all quite calm now, but looking forward to what should be absolute carnage tomorrow night. Fingers crossed. It's not a great radio moment, but the room you're sitting in looks like it doesn't look like the highest quality accommodation that they've put you <laughs> up in. Mate, it's a top-end Novotel. I don't know what you're talking about. This, <laughs> this, this is the glitz and glamour. This is as good as it gets. Um, bog standard, but a place to lay my head for the night. And then, look, I'll be more pumped to actually be at the game tomorrow and be one of the lucky ones that gets to watch it live. So really lucky to be here. Absolutely. And you, you were actually, before we get into the Scotland game, you were in the stadium last weekend for that absolute belter, France versus Wales. That must have been nuts. It was epic. I don't know what it was like. Well, I've seen a lot of the write-ups afterwards, but being in the stadium was actually quite subdued the first half um, because Wales kind of dominated proceedings, got on top, and then just how irate and angry the French staff and (laughs) bench was. We were sat right behind them, and our commentary position was next to Dimitri Yashvili and his team, and they were just (laughs) swearing and going absolutely bonkers with the ref after, you know, I think there was like four or five tries held up. Uh, they weren't too happy, but then look, it went from that to then look, absolute elation, ecstasy. They were so, so happy at the end. Um, and probably one of the best endings to a game you'll, you'll get a chance to watch. So it was pretty cool to be there live, uh, to see the reaction and, and catch up with a couple of the, the players very from a distance, socially distance, catch up of, afterwards. Of course, yeah. Of course, officially. <laughs> um, and look, it was a wonderful finish to a game. It was an absolute cracker. And I suppose it, it it set up tomorrow night in a game that could have been had no meaning to it. You know, France is still in the in the title hunt, and Scotland have got a chance to finish um, second. There's been a slight change in the Scotland team um, due to an injury, which I'll just go through now. Scotland squad for tomorrow night: Rory Sutherland, George Turner, Xander Ferguson in the front row, with Sam Skinner and Grant Gilchrist in the second row. Jamie Ritchie, Hamish Watson. Um, and Matt Ferguson has been replaced by Nick Haining. Ferguson picking up an injury in um, in training. 
Ali Price and Finn Russell, Sam Johnson and Chris Harris, and a back three of Duhan, Darcy and Stuart Hogg. And um, Ryan Wilson has been brought in from Glasgow um, to sit on the bench in place of uh, in place of Haining. Interesting quote in the press release was basically like, he was nearby and he'd had two negative COVID tests, which is an interesting <laughs> selection criteria for Scotland. Um, you, you used to play number eight for Scotland, Johnny. What do you make of, um, how big an impact do you think not having Matt Ferguson could have on the game? Yeah, I've brought my boots as well. I've done an Andy Nichols. So I've got a pair of boots up here in Paris. <laughs> if the shit hits the fan, I'm ready to step in. Um, <laughs> No, look, I've been really impressed. But then with, with Matty Figerson, I've been impressed for a few years now, actually. So really disappointed he's not getting a crack in Paris. I thought he should have gone to the World Cup. Was really unlucky to miss out on that. And then I've really enjoyed watching him for Glasgow. You know, attritional. Um, we don't have that much grunt going forward. He's one of the few ball carriers that actually, you know, regularly gets gain line, sits people down, breaks tackles. So I've been really impressed. And it's a shame that he's not going to get a chance to go up against the French pack because um, he's really stuck his hand up over the last couple of seasons. And it looks like that that unit, we've got that back row of Jamie Ritchie, Hamish Watson, who've both been tearing it up um, consistently now with Matty, could have been the sort of three that would be buttoned on um, and first choice. So they, they clearly sort of made it their own. So no, disappointed for him um, that he's not getting a start tomorrow night because he's been great to watch. Uh, I was going to say, obviously Hamish Watson's potentially been kind of the standout player for Scotland and he's had a few yeah. good matchups with Tom Curry and Tipperick and Connors and I guess how do you think it's going to be his matchup with Oliver Vaughan and obviously also with Aldry etc in the back row? Uh, well, well completely different because none of them if you think of a classic French seven a seven in France is your tall rangy line out calling option so not at all what we consider a seven back in the UK so really if you're thinking like a a traditional jackling seven, like a Tom Curry, a Tipperick, a Hamish Watson. There's nothing really in that mould on the other side of the pitch. So, and, and they're not really the, you got Julian Marchand that's fantastic over ball, but in terms of competing for ball, the back row he's up against isn't at all in the same mould. So, look, you can't really compare him and um, Olivon, for instance. Anthony Jalonch is more of like a hybrid. He's good at everything. The Frenchies describe him as like a French um, Juan Smith, the old um, back rower from Toulon, the South African boy, just destructive, smashes everything, and Aldrich's a wrecking ball as well. But, but look, in terms of pure explosive power and, and pound for pound, who I would rather have, like Hamish Watson every day, day of the week, I think he's absolutely magical to watch. Um, again, one of the few guys that, in a team that stuttered a couple of times, he's stuck his hand up again and again. Like an absolute cannonball with the ball in hand he's just been phenomenal to watch so look brings entertainment and joy to every Scottish fan I think the the bandana now and the Braveheart look is almost as famous in France like he's a cult hero in France <laughs> if you watch French TV rugby programs over here they love him as well um, and so look he's been the absolute standout um, over the past 12 months he's been superb to watch that's one of the words you used to describe the, um, some of the French players as powerful and I think one of the running themes of this podcast the last four years has been potentially the Scottish pack struggling to deal with the power of a lot of the other six, six uh, nations packs, you know, apart from Italy, obviously. And I guess, do you see that as being an issue for the, the Scotland team tomorrow? No, not really. Um, I think if you think traditional power up front, you'd think Scotland being dominated at scrum time or, or being pushed around at mall time. I don't see that being the case. You look at the match up with the the match up with Sutherland against uh, Momo Huas, who he had on toast last year in the Six Nations. You have to go back to like Nicolas Mass era to Thomas Domingo to think of us being properly dominated by a French pack up front. I think mall time, uh, line out time, were just as effective. Like our win percentage is is just as good as anyone's. We put other teams under pressure with our mall mall ball, and we're good in, in defensive. Maldi, I think generally if you're talking power and a sort of multi-phase stuff, it's more like multi-phase on the gain line where we got sort of bashed up by Ireland, whereas we absolutely dominated England. Um, so look, it's about the team finding their feet consistently because they've shown that they can do it. That win at Twickenham was phenomenal. And again, they haven't won in Paris since 1999. And so physicality will be at the absolute forefront. But look, there's a couple of key guys missing in terms of bulk. You've got Valimse out, you've got Taufa Finn was on the bench. So they're not big, heavy. You've got Swan Rabaj, who's in, who's like 6'8", big rangy guy, not really a massive ball carrier. Um, 
And then it's more sort of midfield power where you, you're really looking at the difference for me is it's clearly why Hugh Jones has been left out um, and Chris Harris brought in because the job that he did of nullifying Vakatawa in last year's fixture as well, like his, his line speed and the way he leads that defensive line is really, really good. He puts pressure, cuts away time and space from opposition centres and that's why he's in the team. So like for me, the power battle this week is mainly going to be in the midfield. Um, and I think if you look back at that Welsh test last week, they actually gave some pretty clear-cut indications of how to attack and pressurise early um, this French defence. Because once they get on the back foot and they lose early collisions, that big pack is actually quite slow compared to other Six Nations packs at getting round the corner, generating line speed and dominating their own collisions. So, look, the power battle, I think, is is going to be really, really key. Um, but I don't think that we're as underpowered as we maybe think. I think as Scots, we tend to talk ourselves down. But look across that pack and I'm like, there's not that much of a difference in explosive ball-carrying power. Maybe Nick Hanen gives away a little bit compared to Aldrit, but apart from that, um, fairly similar. What are, um, apart from sort of, you know, the, the waffle jokes and stuff, like what what are the French media making of this Scotland team? Like, do they, because there's been quite a lot of talk about, you know, th- this is, the focus is more on like getting that 21 point margin than maybe just winning the game, it seems. And Hogg was talking yeah. about that today, saying that it like, is really sort of pissing him off. Like, is is there a sense of of this being? It's it's more about the margin of victory rather than the the outcome. No, for them clearly, it's all been about winning by twenty one points. Um, and I don't think that's disrespectful. I don't think it would be if you're playing Wales or Ireland or. It's just that's what they need to do to win the Six Nations Championship. They haven't done it since two thousand ten, and this is the first time they've had a decent, an organised outfit. Um, they've always had hugely talented individuals and kids but they just haven't strung it together as a team it's the first time they've got a decent coaching staff Fabian Galtier Sean Edwards um, Karim Gazal from Lyon like they're properly switched on as a coaching team it's the first time they've ever had that so I'm not sure it's disrespectful as much as it will be frustrating for Hoggy Tier, I completely understand that but this is their chance as a group to have that bite of history that they like they haven't they haven't even been close since 2010 so yeah, not easy to hear for Hoggy, but I don't think that's disrespectful. Uh, at the same time, the French press is clearly appreciative of the Scottish side. They know, look, we only have two pro teams. We're fighting an uphill battle. Some of the stuff we string together is extremely exciting and great to watch. They, they appreciate our side massively, but they know they have to hammer us by 21 points to win a Six Nations title, and that's what they want to do. So it's just the way it is, unfortunately. But then you look back to that game against England, like they were the first ones to be like cheering for us. Absolutely loved it. Loved watching Scotland dominate at Twickenham um, and loved seeing this, a Scottish side playing that way. So it's not like they consider us unfe- inferior, um, but they just know they have to do a serious number on us this weekend if they want to win a title. And, and what is it about Galtier that has brought together all the talent and, and organised it? Is it, the fact that he is kind of uh, a talisman that's so respected in French rugby and can lead the team, or no. is it more like the team technical side of things? So they've had shocking coaches in the past, um, like Philippe Saint-André now is at Montpellier, their second bottom with one of the biggest budgets in top 14. Yeah. Mark Lievermont before now doesn't even coach in club rugby. Um, they just had a series of appointments that were made for like by political interests and sort of mates getting the job, which is sometimes how it can work over here in France. And look, Fabian's the first guy that's come in that's actually at a level technically with his detail, like how he asks you to play, um, with his foresight, with his vision for the for the game, and then how he explains to you in details what he wants from you and expects from you on the pitch. It's the first guy probably that's been at a high level for the past 10 years. So you, you look at some of the starter plays they came up with against England. It was like watching Super Rugby. It was so good to watch. That's Fabian all over. Then for the first time in 10 years, they actually defend. Like stupid things like line speed. When the ball goes in there, they all fight and have a chase line. Things that other teams have taken for countries are bread and butter in our rugby for years and club rugby, but they didn't do because they weren't taught to do it at the top level. So it was almost an inept or handicapped French side that we've been watching. Now you've got Sean Edwards come in and, and has organised them, given them a proper attitude and simple systems around their D. They're now really hard to break down. 
which means when they cough the ball up on counter-attack, they're dangerous because they've got amazing strike players with X-Factor. And, and look, they've just put the sort of the processes that every other nation had in and they hadn't done that for 10 years because their coaching team was average. Now they've got a decent level coaching team and their product on field is great to watch. So it, it must be really weird. Like You've got guys like uh, Vamaina and Jeff Poirot who, who basically turned their back on the French national team because it was crap. Like they would go, they'd get pelted by French press because it's such a massive sport. They're under so much pressure and they would just get slated, annihilated on social media and they got tired of it. I think Poirot left age 27 and he had something about 30, 40 caps and like he was meant to be the next captain. So look, it, it was a poisonous place to be because the coaching wasn't good, the performance wasn't good and therefore it was kind of bitter. Now, performance on the field is outstanding and everyone in France is sort of proud of their French rugby team again. It was that they wanted to go watch Perpignan or Toulon or Bayonne, support their local team, but they're like, oh, geez, our national team's crap, even though our top 14 is pretty damn good. We've got loads of talent. They were kind of ashamed, and that was kind of the same for the French players as well. Now it's different. They're like, lads, when we go there, we can actually play. We have fun. and We throw the ball around and string together some decent stuff. So it's been a real mindset change for them. But at the end of the day, that makes it a little bit harder for Scotland, but it's great for French rugby. It's great for world rugby because everyone sees this French team performing and it's great for the Six Nations. We, we talked, talked a little bit about Fabian Gatti when you were on the pod last time, and I think there's obviously been a lot more sort of come out. And I think obviously yourself and Jim Hamilton are the two people that have probably kind of spoken the most about it. And there's almost this kind of what comes across as fear of Fabian and then this admiration of how good he is as a coach and it's kind of this I think it was Jekyll and Hyde characters the way you, you sort of described it yeah I mean how do you as a player how did you find that in terms of in terms of like that one-on-one relationship um I didn't really didn't really have a relate it's not like we're mates yeah you know what I mean like he sends me messages now and again by LinkedIn really weird um <laughs> <laughs> just saying he's caught up in some stuff or how am I doing but Honestly, in terms of working, like I went from Scottish rugby where you had. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Like nutritionists, strength and conditioning, environment, culture, values. Everything was done to the absolute nines, but then the rugby stuff when we got on the pitch wasn't that great. And I went into Montpellier where you had no infrastructure, you weren't taken care of. But the on-field rugby stuff that I'd been craving was fantastic and it enabled me to be great on the pitch. So that was all I cared about. So as much as, yes, sometimes he could be difficult to deal with and in terms of his management, like a lot of it was bonkers, I just loved the rugby. Um, and that's why it enabled me to stay. Jim was more about, he needs the sort of emotional buy-in and the need to feel loved, whereas I, I didn't really need that. Um, it's like Jim had decided after three months, like the way he was spoken to by Ledesma and Galtier, he was like, I'm out of here. And that was it. He cut his contract and, and, and went off to Saracens. Whereas, look, Fabian, for, for me, he got the best rugby of my career out of me. It was the easiest I've ever found it to play rugby and to perform week, week in, week out. Um, it was the best team I'd ever been part of, like Francois Tranduc, Nicolas Mass, René Ranger, Anthony Tuitavaki, Vinon Olivier, like guys that won World Cup. And it was just easy to play. It was so much fun. And so that's what I retain as much as Parts were difficult week in, week out, dealing with a really, really fiery character and somebody that could bully blokes and really make life hard for you. 
when you stepped out on the pitch, it was an absolute pleasure. It was so much fun and the rugby, it was just so good. I absolutely loved it. So a, a complete contrast, but then going with that, when it was hard week in, week out, we also said like with, you know, it was like Francois Tranduc, Mamuka Gorgodzi and all these foreign blokes, we'd say, geez, this guy would be so much better if it was part of a national setup. So he'd be with him for eight weeks, get the rugby, not have to deal too much with him as a person be great on the pitch and then forget about it and go back to your club. And, and that's where he is now. And I think that was always his aim was that he wanted to end up as the French national coach. It always, I think, been his plan at the back of his, in the back of his mind. Mm. And that's where he is now. Look, he's excelling. A man not without his controversies, particularly, I suppose, over his whole career and in the last month or so. What is, I guess, what's the latest on Wafflegate? It sort of it exploded, what, four or five weeks ago? And now it's sort of uh, we're now sort of we're now back for the rearranged fixture. How's that been covered? I suppose in France over the last few weeks. Well, there was kind of an internal scandal, obviously, but I'm not really sure that they're aware of the scrutiny that they're getting from international press um, because it's it's made a joke of the tournament a little bit. Um, so they came out with a statement yesterday, just clarifying everything and and and. Like, you know what internal investigations are like? Basically, you pat yourself on the back and you move on and, and nothing is really said. And because they haven't been penalised at any higher level from Six Nations or government, nothing's been said. Everything's been swept under the carpet. What's um, happened to the um, the Sevens bloke that was the, the fall guy? Well, but that's it. We don't know who... The, the fall guy initially <laughs> was... The, the vice president of the French Federation came out and said it was a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, I remember that. So just just smoking mirrors and pointing fingers. So ultimately, we'll, we we will never know. <laughs> Let's just put it that we we will never know. Um, but look, the, the team that's paid the price is Scotland, and the people that I feel sorriest for are Sean Maitland and Jamie Batty. Like Sean Maitland, who was outstanding again in that England performance. For me, he's been great the whole way through the Six Nations tournament. He's a British Lions tourist already, playing his heart out out of the Championship down in England it was a massive chance for him again away from home where Warren Gatland has criticised Scotland in the past and said look you're never going to get more boys on the plane until you're away from home well we've battered England that was a chance to batter France and Sean doesn't get get to play so look the fact that and it was on Saturday even Gregor Townsend thought it was going to be purely home-based players and Finn Russell that was all he thought he was going to play with it's just made a bit of a mockery from the sporting side. The commercial side is something completely different. And obviously there's massive pressure on Scotland to get this game played because they need the 3 million quid or whatever it is in TV rights money for their coffers because everyone's struggling in COVID. But if you take it purely back to the sporting, the values, the how we see our rugby on a base level, it sucks. Like it absolutely sucks that Sean Maitland's been thrown under the bus. And I don't think MD can, can contest that. But for France, look, nothing, no heat is coming externally. They, no heat's coming from any other union, from the Six Nations. They've just said, oh, look, it's a blip. We carry on and play the game. But for them, ultimately, they get back Roman Intermac, who was out injured, and we lose access to what would have been if Johnny Gray was there. Would he have been playing? Sean Maitland now can't go on a Lions tour, potentially. Jamie Batty doesn't get another cap really poor for him again um, and that's the fallout but ultimately on the French side none of that's felt um, and I don't really see like nobody's really jumping or shouting about how upsetting it is or how damaging it is for Scottish rugby and their chances to win this game and, and potentially it's the SRU that are footing the bill for those players who are being released from England is that is that correct? Look I don't know I, I, like, I don't without being a fly on the wall of that conversation I don't really want to I don't want to say. I've no idea. Unless you were there, I don't know what if they if they've had to negotiate and pay for player payout, or if Six Nations has had to negotiate. But whatever way you look at it, it's a bit of a shit show. Like it's a shit sandwich for Scottish rugby for to swallow, and it is just really, really a massive shame for those blokes that they can't get on the plane and come to Paris and, and, and play at Stade de France. What's uh What's your view on Teddy Thomas? Obviously, he's the player who's been dropped and um, Ficou's been pushed out. I, there's there's something with Teddy Thomas sometimes where I think the theory is almost better than what, what ends up in practice, especially at an international level. I think you, you look at how easy the game is for him at certain times, but he's never really been able to sort of consistently do it on the international scene. Um, look, he's... 
look, he's, he's probably the best athlete, if not in the top five athletes in the Six Nations. A complete freak. Genetically, when he runs with the ball, there's not many guys that can run at that pace while looking like they're jogging. Like Freakish stuff. And he does it week in, week out in top 14. But look, even Rassling92 have said, we've had enough, we're not renewing you. For a guy who's a starting winger, he's Gif qualified, he, he meets all the criteria. He, he, he's a big X-factor player, but he's a luxury as well because there's a lot of the game that he doesn't do. He doesn't really defend. Um, and he's liable to have certain brain explosions like he had last week against Wales where he sort of trotted into the middle of the pitch at half pace and then threw the ball on the floor and then got hauled off the pitch by Fabian. But look, that with Fabian, you get two or three strikes and, and once you've used them, you're gone. So... He'll know he can't do it again. He, he might be coming back and, and picking up a contract with uh, Toulouse. Um, French press also rumoured today saying that Gail Ficou has signed for four. He has signed, but saying that because Gail Ficou signed for Racing 92, he might be able to persuade Teddy Thomas, who's one of his good mates, to sort of take a massive pay cut and stay, even though they said they don't want him. So, look, he's a, he's a luxury in that he does so much of the game so well, but then 30% he's a complete liability. Um but look, him being on the bench and coming on as one of those sort of finisher type of players, does that help Scotland? I'm not really sure. He could, he could come on and, and carve up against potentially a perceived weakened bench that we have. I don't know if it's really a weakened bench, but look, he's a freakish athlete. He's horrible to play against, but he's certainly somebody that has been shunted out of this team for Gail Fiku because they know Duan van der Merwe might run down his channel and he might find, try to play touch rugby. So that's why Fabian's moved him out. He, he's a complete... He's a luxury, but then he comes with, with classic faults as well. He hates tackling, so it is what it is. You, you, you touched on it just, just previously, but where, where do you think Scotland could potentially get the the upper hand on uh, tomorrow night? Um, so there's three different ways. I thought Wales sort of mapped out how to attack them. Um, kind of strange for Wales last week because Sean Edwards wasn't with them because his mum passed away so he wasn't allowed back into the bubble and, and I sort of thought that's why they didn't fix some of their defensive frailties at half time as well but one of the ways certainly is through scrum attack um, so I thought the use of Reese Zamet sort of in between from strike in between the sort of 9 and 10 connection and, and defence looked really weak they got through there two or three times and got easy gain line and then once you've got gain line against France you can pin them down and strangle them and force them to make, state, make mistakes, which I thought Wales did really well. Um, Line-out wise as well. So France tend to chase everything in the air. They compete everything with a mirror line-out, which means that they're always up in the air, which means that their feet aren't on the ground and they're never set properly to defend malls. So Wales rumbled them as well with the, with mall plays. Um, so there's what, little ways like that. Like the, the big one possibly that, France have been so good with Brees Dulan as well, but Liam Williams and Dan Bigger were outstanding last week as the aerial battle. So I guess the quickest way to make any sort of field position gain is just an up and under, get up and compete for the ball. It sounds really simple, but again, that's where Sean Maitland has been fantastic and he was superb against England and he won't be there this weekend. And then I think the biggest point is, and we'll see within 10 minutes clearly strategy-wise how France set about, but Look, if they start kicking everything to the corner and they're really ambitious and, and they get a bit loose, there will be turnovers, there'll be chances to play. So, look, if we can snaffle any loose ball, create anything and close the gap, France are going to be forced to play more and more expansively, be more and more creative and deviate from their plan and try and force things, which suits us. Like, if we can chip away a score, stay in the game, knock over three points, grind away, they're just going to get frustrated. And there's, there's, they've always got a chance that they could implode with their old Latin temperament you just never know what's going to happen so there's three or four different key things and the big one obviously is just physicality just if France blow you away and their tails get up they're the best team in the world because confidence goes sky high so just stand up make your tackles make it hard for them and graft really simply but look there's a few different things if we check those boxes we'll be there or thereabouts coming the end of the game Are you going Alan? <laughs> no no you go um, I was just going to say, I was just looking at the uh, the bookies have got France's 14-point favourites for tomorrow night. Does that, that sound about right to me, Johnny? Is that, is that, does that sound about right to you as well? <laughs> well, obviously with the 21 points needed, you've got to bet on the fact there's going to be a high-scoring game. But yeah, 
that also means France have to force it. They have to try things that they don't don't normally do, and there are going to be mistakes. So mm. I think because of that 21, 21 point swing has to come into effect for France to win, it's going to provide us with opportunities. So as much as I would say like a 10-point victory either way is feasible. France are definitely favourites going into the game, but because of the fact it could be loose, there's a chance that we could sneak something ridiculous. And we've seen in this tournament, there have been some phenomenal games and great results. So, look, yeah, France are definitely favourites, but you wouldn't stick it past Scotland to sneak this by five points and give us an amazing an amazing away day in front of nobody again, Twickenham and Paris. Um, so, look, fingers crossed they can do a little job um, bit of a demolition job at Stade de, Stade de France and obviously Finn's I feel like Finn's been um, potentially getting a, a bit more sort of negative press during the Six Nations than he usually does and I guess there's part of me that you know he's not been having the great the greatest of time on the pitch he's back back in Paris against his old teammates it feel it could it looks like it's going to be a very open game this this does feel like it's the sort of game that could be suited to his character I guess what's um how, how do you see sort of Finn's role in this match, and how do you think it will be seeing as he's going to be playing against a lot of the people he plays with week in week out? No, I think I think Finn gets quite a lot of shit, um, especially in UK. Like he's adored over here. He's so good week in week out for racing, honestly. And I think because he has an affable nature, because he smiles on the pitch, it appears like he doesn't care, but he clearly does. Like the work that goes in. Behind the scenes, the analysis, the detail, the bringing people along onto the same page of how he wants to play, his vision. He's very much a driver of how Racing wants to play week in, week out. The coaches absolutely love having him as part of the team. And although there's been headbutts between them, Grego said the exact same thing. He loves having him as part of the team and part of that decision-making group. Um, and again, you're 10. Look, he didn't have to be outstanding. Other people were phenomenal down in England. They won for different reasons, but Finn's a kind of guy, if, if the Scottish pack achieves parity and there's some sort of semblance of, of go forward in the midfield, there's nobody else that you want playing with you. Like he is a, with his variation of passing, with his vision, with his decision making, his general rugby IQ, he's the guy that you want to be slinging passes around to Chris Harris, Sam Johnson, Juan van der Mer, picking options and getting people moving forward. So look, he hasn't been absolutely outrageous and on fire, but absolutely wouldn't have bet against him tomorrow night being absolutely phenomenal up against Fakatawa a guy that not many people know so I think Arthur Vanson starting at 12 I think that's a positive thing for Scotland Gail Fiku for me has been superb over the past 12 months him being shunted out the wings actually a positive thing for Scotland I would absolutely be attacking his channel between him and Intermac there's definitely going to be space they'll have worked out plays not big men how to work out go forward through them so between that 9-10 12 axis, there's going to be ways of, of generating go forward. And, and Finn will have absolutely spent time taking everyone through those during the week and making sure that's part of the plan. So, look, he hasn't been absolutely on roaring form, but he's a world class player. I love watching him play. Um, and I hope he has a, an absolute a superb game tomorrow night. I guess just staying on Finn and, and focusing domestically, he's, he's obviously been there for at Racing for about two and a half years. And, you know, obviously their squad's absolutely stacked. But they haven't quite won anything yet. Is there is there, do there's pressure on him to start delivering silverware? I mean, geez, you could say that about any one of ten teams in the top fourteen. They've all got yeah. budgets that are thirty, forty million quid. Um, it, it's a different level, um, and there's pressure on each one of the tens. Like you go through the, the, the like there's massive pressure on. You got Intermac, you've got Plisson, you got Andre Pollard you've got five or six or seven or eight of the world's best tens playing the top four. It's the same in each one of those sides. Um, and the difficulty, and I think people will understand, is the graph to get there. So like top 14 is a long old slog. Um, and then it comes down ultimately to three or four knockout games as every tournament does. But in top 14, that can be an absolute lottery as well. They've got themselves to the Champions Cup final. They've lost to Exeter. So they're there or thereabouts. And if there's somebody that you want there pulling the strings, it's Finn. He's going to get you there. He's around the pack and outside backs around them that are outstanding as well. And, and look, they absolutely love him. You chat to Yannick Nyanga, a lovely bloke. He's now the, the director of the sporting sector. There. He cannot speak highly enough of them. Dmitry Sarzeski absolutely loves him. Um, a joy to work with. 
lights up the sort of training ground every week, a joy to be around. And then at the weekend, he's fantastic. So yes, there's pressure, but no more pressure than any of the other top 14 sides or any premiership side or pro 14 side. Um, masses at stake, big pressure from French presidents, but it's the same at any number of any number of the clubs you could choose from. And I guess it's interesting. I was looking back, even sort of five or six years ago, there was a lot more Scotland players kind of plying their trade in in France. And at the moment, I think in top 14, it's it's only Finn who's currently on the books. Obviously, yeah. Hugh Jones hopefully coming next year. I guess, what do you think the, the reason for that that is? And, and do you think, and how do you think Bayon will be for Hugh Jones if it you know does come off that he ends up moving down there? Um, so there's actually been a massive shrink in the number of foreigners generally because um, their equivalent of EQP English qualified player or is GIF and so there's been a massive increase in the required number of GIF players it's been much stricter so your sort of average Scottish international not pointing any fingers or naming names he was there maybe over the past 10 years and I wouldn't get that chance to go because they'll quite rightly give the chance to a young French kid and try and coach him up and make him good um, as opposed to having a sort of middle-of-the-road super rugby player or South African or, or Brit coming over. So it's now the sort of creme de la creme, if you want, that's heading over. Guys like Finn or guys that aren't being retained or through COVID, there's a few guys that have fallen through the cracks, you being Jones being one of them. Um, and, and that, as rightly is reported, heading down to Bayonne. Again, I've, I have no idea how he'd get on. Um, look, he's superb in attack, love watching him. He's electric when he gets his hands on the ball, but the other side of the ball, he's just, for me, non-existent, really. Um, like really handsy, which is really weird to, de- to describe by somebody, but really handsy with his tackles. Almost lets people go past him and then catches them up to tackle. I'm like, and that's clearly why Chris Harris has, has been given the nod this weekend because you're going up against Fakatao, you need line speed, you need front on tackles, you need to get them on the deck and take away time. And, and so Hugh Jones is completely the opposite to what Chris Harris brings. Um, massive flair, strike runner and attack, but defensively, nowhere near the same quality. So for Hugh, look, I can only say it's, a, it's an amazing place to live. Like you're not going to get a better place to live. The rugby at Bayon is not going to be the quality that he enjoys with Scotland or with Glasgow. It's, it's less organised. It's a total scrap. The infrastructure at the club is not the same. You're not looked after the, the same way. Um, and so it'll be a real shit fight for him is the is the honest answer. And that you're going somewhere that is not organised in the same way. Different language is really hard. But then guys like me, it absolutely made me. And it made me a better player, made me a better person. So hopefully it can be the same for him. He might learn a few different things from working with different people from around the world and then come back to Scotland international time, be a better player and then potentially be a starting 13. But until he gets that defensive part of his game right, he's never going to be the starting 13 for Scotland. Absolutely. Um, what was your what was your playing record for Scotland versus France like? Any good? Um, not good. Not good. I don't think I ever beat. I think <laughs> I, I think I only ever played against them once at Murrayfield, and it was the year they won the Grand Slam. And I think I've played in Stade de France. My Six Nations debut was there in 2007. I think I played there four times and lost every time. Um, so no, not good. But this crop's got a much better chance than I ever did. They're going to win tomorrow. I've actually got it up. It's uh, uh, upsettingly five out of five. Yeah. There you go. Called it. Honest. I was, I was going to ask you, I don't know if it's, obviously it's the, the Lions chat is, um, is, it's all sort of kicking off. Back in sort of 2013, did you ever have any chats with, with Gatland at all? I got a letter through my door. Did you? Yeah. Um, so I was on the, the first list. Um, but then ended up on tour out to South Africa. And there weren't any back row injuries. So I ended up just staying on tour with Scotland. Was that the quad series that they had out there? Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, so yeah. no, that, that was as close as I got. But honestly, not sadly, but getting that letter and just knowing that I was in that bracket was really, really cool. Um, and, you know, it's one of those, I think you have to be philosophical. It would have been absolutely amazing to have gone on. It would have been the pinnacle of a career. But so many things have to go your way. Luck, injuries, timing, form, 
um, team wins. There's so much that goes into it. Um, so look, the fact that I got that letter and I was in the bracket, I was really proud. It would have been amazing to have gone and done, but didn't quite happen. Um, but nice to have had that letter. I think it's somewhere back in Glasgow, parents' house. <laughs> I mean, minor um, silver lining, that Scotland-South Africa game, the first 60 minutes was one of the most exciting matches ever. I remember, because uh, we, we were winning with about 25 minutes to go, weren't we? Well, we would have won that game if Jim Hamilton didn't get a yellow card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like, honestly, if he just kept his head up, all he wanted to do was have a, like one of those pushing, pissy fights with Elizabeth and prove that he was the big man. Got yellow carded and we lost the game. Um, so no, that was a great game, and that it was like Jean de Villiers, Habana, um, Khaleesi was just on the scene as well. Like, it was a great team. It was their first choice team they put out, and we were great for sixty minutes. But then Big Jim did a big gym, and uh, we lost another game. Do you, do you think um, Gatlin will be? you mentioned it before, we'll be paying close attention to the game tomorrow and thinking if Scotland can get this win, that maybe moves like a, someone like a Jamie Ritchie from a maybe to a very strong chance. Look, I think there's three blokes that would be at the forefront of his mind. Then you've got Finn, you've got Hoggy and you've got Hamish would be the three. Um, then of the wider pool, like Jamie Ritchie was outstanding last year, but he's had, he's had like coming back from injury, he's been quite quiet during the Six Nations, and like the back row talent in every other country has been on fire. Um, but look, Warren knows what he can get out, what he can get out of all the other squads. He's worked with the Welsh boys, the Irish boys. He's taken a lot of those guys on tour before, so it's whether you take a punt. Like you look through the squad, and people that for me have stuck their hand up at various points. So Sutherland's been decent. Uh, Fagerson as well. Um, Big Xander's done really well over the past couple of seasons, really developed. Those two guys have come from nowhere, are sort of in the wider picture, but if they'll make that squad, if they're phenomenal tomorrow night, you never know. Um, Jamie, and then who you look like, Duhan, another guy, like purely for freakish tackle break. I mean, the guy's an absolute freak show. Um I think he's leading the, the tackle break stacks by he's doubled everyone already. There's still a game to play. He's a guy that you could chuck in there as a wild card. But outside that, like you've got five or six or seven guys that for me are potentials. Three should be dead certs. But then you take Hamish, does he play in the test side? You've got three sevens that have, you've got Tom Curry, Tiprick, and him that have been superb. So how do you, how do you pick? Could you leave out? And then the other one that nobody's really talked about is, is Hookers. So for me, none of the hookers in the championship have been decent, but you look at the job that Fraser Brown can do when he's fit and Stu McAnally, there's two guys there that haven't played in the championship, but you couldn't rule out either. So look, there's seven, eight guys that are potentials um, and a lot, I think, there's only one game to watch. So it'll be easy for Warren Gatlin tomorrow night. There's only one game to watch. All eyes will be on us. And if you're going to shine and you're going to get on the plane tomorrow night, it's where you need to sparkle. So it's a huge night for, for five or six of our boys, I would say. Yeah, there's there's a frustration I think as well. You, you know, someone like Fraser Brown I think is a great example where you know, it's just as you said, timing has been so poor for him. The fact that he's not been able to showcase what he can do during the Six Nations, and to kind of put on top of that, it looks like Glasgow and Edinburgh probably well, Glasgow are in the Challenge Cup. Edinburgh are almost certainly going to lose to Racing in the last 16. So they're not even going to get that additional period kind of when, because it feels like those kind of knockout European matches are kind of another way, another time for Gatlin to kind of assess. And they're not going to get that secondary kind of period either. So no, you're, because I think you're right. I think go back sort of three or four months. And I think Fraser Brown only was definitely in the mix, but potentially the sort of player that would be good in that environment against South Africa. Yeah, really destructive, really physical, great jackal over the ball. His throwings come on leap and leaps and bounds. Look, I've been really impressed with Fraser. He's developed massively over the past three, four seasons. So certainly somebody that has the quality. It's just a question, like I touched on before, you have to be philosophical, but a lot of it is down to luck and timing and that run that you get into Lang's year. Um, and look, he's got three months now, the close of a season, to get the bit between his teeth and show what he can do against Pro 14 opposition, which is, which is different, but he's certainly got enough talent to showcase that he merits to be on the plane. And he's shown enough over the past couple of seasons. But ultimately, with all these things that come down, again, philosophical, it's one man's choice. One man makes this decision. Um, it's his prerogative. And we'll soon find out who he decides to take with him. 
hopefully, I know the, the, there's the rumours that Tooney is going to be one of the assistant coaches. And I guess one of the things people have always talked about in Scotland is that lack of, since McGeekin's obviously uh, left the Lions scene, that lack of a Scottish voice has potentially gone against it. So I guess there's a hope that if Tooney can get in that selection room and can give that verdict on his personal experience, hopefully that will help some of the Scotland boys in terms of those kind of 50-50 calls, right? I think we've we've always had a, a voice. You know, Warren Gatlin has always, or every line, Lions coach can pick up the phone and have a debate about a Scottish head coach's players. That's always happened. Um, but having somebody directly in that inner circle fighting even harder w- would make that little edge maybe a little difference. But look, I, th- I think Warren Gatlin is going to be 95% set on his mind on his squad and on individuals that he wants, how much an assistant's really going to sway him, I'm not really that sure. Those conversations have always been there. That You'll always pick up the phone and I've asked Andy Robinson or Scott Johnson or Vern Cotter what they think of them as individuals, as people, how they would fit into tour, what they could add. Those things have always been there. So I'm honestly not sure how much difference it would really make, um, but it would just be fantastic to have a Scottish coach as part of the coaching setup. That'd be great to have one more Scott on tour. And for Gregor, especially to have that experience after the sort of Lions legacy that he has already had as a player, it would be great for him. 100%. So um, we'll wind it up a little bit there, finish up with some predictions for the uh, the game that's right in front of us, although I'm sure we could sit and talk Lions all night. Um, Bet365 giving, um, giving it to France by 14. Johnny, what do you reckon? Oh, me first. You first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Honestly, because of the looseness of what France have to achieve, I think it's going to be tighter than people think. Um, Honestly, I think five, ten points either way. It's either going to be a ten-point win for France or a four-point win for Scotland. Um, Because we could sneak it, because they're going to have to chase the game, make mistakes, and therefore we could capitalise. Um, do I have to give a definitive definitive of who who I think is one hundred percent going to win this game? Scotland by four. Oh, I like it. Ballsy. Well, they look. It's the easy thing to say, France. <laughs> can, I'd much rather see Scotland finish second in the table, a few more boys on a Lions trip, and to be able to laugh at all my French neighbours when I get home. So Scotland by four. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll take the easy option. Although I do, I think I think you're right in the sense that I actually think you know plus sixty points overall, I think is 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 probably going to happen. I, I I could see something like a thirty six twenty seven. That's sort of super 10, rugby. Yeah, ten point gap around about sixty points. Have you got an outside bet for us, Alan Johnny? If you've not caught the pod during the Six Nations, Alan's been putting in sort of rogue bets for people to try and win huge amounts of money, such as. Scott Cummings to score last or um, Dave Cherry Ryan, to get a hat-trick. Or Ryan uh, Wilson to get red-carded. Ryan Wilson, yeah. to, the money's not, that, that, the odds yeah. aren't big enough. That must be, that must be evens or something. <laughs> Outside bet of Ryan Wilson to score a try on his 50th cap. Oh, that'd be Come class. On. Get that in. That's a good bet. <laughs> that would be quite good. Odds would be quite interesting on that as well. Yeah, yeah, no. Good one for Freya's trust fund. Matt, what do you reckon is going to happen? Well, I think so far the... The, the best option has been to, been to take the exact opposite side of Alan's bets. So yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm going to go for a, oh, yeah, Scot- Scotland win by two. Let's go for that. There you go. I think, I think Dave stalled. <laughs> yeah, Dave might have been booted out as the host. So on um, that note, maybe we just wrap up. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.